0: All right, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 12. I know some of you that are sitting here have been with me on my daily Bible study on Facebook, which, by the way, in case you don't know anything about that, my Facebook page is public. So you can go on and join. We have a few that are here that are with me every day. And some of you, you know, you come when you can make it, which is fine. Those Bible studies stay up for a month before they're taken down. But I covered this a few studies ago, Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus talks about what happens to someone who is possessed with an evil spirit, what goes on after that, and how it relates to the generation he was speaking to. And what I'd like to do is relate it to the generation that we are in right now. So it's Matthew chapter 12. And at verse 43, Jesus said, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house. Now there's a lot here that is showing us the realm of the spirit that we could not know unless Jesus revealed it. We could not know these things. Then he saith, verse 44, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty swept and garnished, decorated. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. They enter in and dwell there. The last state of that man is worse than the first. His ending, in other words, is worse than where he was when he had one evil spirit in the beginning. But then Jesus says this and he makes an application which I will also make today. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation so let's just take a look for a moment at what jesus says here it gives us some insights into the spiritual realm which i reiterate that we could not know this unless jesus revealed it there's a lot of things about god we could not have known unless the bible had revealed it specifically the plan of salvation and also the plan of the ages that god is going to bring everything for the believer for those that believe to a good conclusion Meanwhile, we deal with the situation as it is. The unclean spirit has gone out of man. Notice that he walks through dry places. And he's looking for rest, but doesn't find any rest. So he says, I will return into, and look at the word, my house, from where I came out. So the first thing that we see about evil spirits is that they seek embodiment. They want to be embodied. That's what we see with legion. When the devils were going to be cast out of the man, the devils were saying, let us go into the herd of pigs. They want to be embodied. It's the first thing that we learn. But when an evil spirit returns, according to Jesus, and he finds the person that he once possessed, when he finds it empty, which means this person, though dispossessed of an evil spirit, that Jesus is not in there because the evil spirit is not going to come in and dominate a person with Jesus inside. So this is someone who has been touched by the Lord, but hasn't done anything such as repentance and turned to the Lord. He finds it empty and then swept and garnished, So it's clean. The inside is clean temporarily. Then he goes and he takes with himself seven other spirits. Now this again is a revelation of what goes on in the spiritual realm. If you were to ask me why is this so, I don't know. I don't know. Why seven? Why not 12? I don't know. But this is what Jesus puts before us. And he says that he takes spirits that are more wicked than himself, and then they enter back into that man because there is nothing there to prevent them from re-entering. And as I said, if you look at the word in verse 44, empty, that means someone who has been touched and set free from the influence of an evil spirit has not had Jesus come into their life. If you look at the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, You'll see the fact that many were touched by Jesus, healed and dispossessed of devils and so on, that never turned to him, that never repented, that never changed. So that's what it be implied here about being empty. By the way, everybody is full of something. Everybody. So you have to answer the question today, what are you full of? And by the way, we're designed to be full of the Holy Spirit. So now they come back. These evil spirits, and they're more wicked than the first one. And Jesus says that the condition of that man at his end is worse than it was at the beginning when he was first suffering from demon possession. I don't know how many of you could imagine what your life would be like now if seven more evil spirits... I'm not saying all of you were demon-possessed. I'm just giving an example. If you were to turn away from the Lord, applying this truth what your life would be like seven times worse than when you first met Christ. In other words, meeting Christ doesn't mean receiving Christ, doesn't mean serving Christ, doesn't mean he's your Lord. People meet Jesus. I, for one, cannot even imagine, truly can't imagine, my life being seven times more wicked and evil than it was when I first met Jesus. It goes beyond my imagination because it was pretty bad when I met him. And we need to keep this in mind to stay faithful right to the very end. So with this in mind, Jesus makes an application. He says, this is how it is in the spiritual realm. And that's how it's going to be in this generation. Within 40 years or less than 40 years, Jerusalem itself would be attacked by the Romans and the temple would be invaded from General Titus, who eventually became the emperor. And things were much, much worse than they were before Jesus walked the streets and did his miracles, showed his mercy and grace and so forth. So he applies it to the generation, to history, future. Here in America, as well as England and France and Spain and Germany and so on, other countries, that once had the gospel as a more dominant force, that have turned away from the gospel. And what you are seeing, what I'm seeing, is a generation where the situation is getting worse than it was at the beginning. And of course, if you read history, you know that history hasn't always been all that great. But we're watching with our own eyes. Me, I watch with a lot of grief what is happening to these countries, but I always stick with my own country here, America. Watching what is going on. Watching what is happening. And frankly, it's frightening. Mm -hmm. So I picked an unusual title. I usually try to get my titles a bit more succinct than this one here. But the title of this message is Where We Are in America. Where we are, how we got here and what we must do, what we must do. I want you to emphasize in your thinking the word must. I want to talk to you about a night of ideas. This was an event that occurred just about two weeks ago in 20 or more states here in the USA, where people came together. They were politicians and activists and I guess philosophers, all types of people I'm not precisely sure all that was shared in this Night of Ideas. I do know that one of those places that had this event was at Harvard. And perhaps we could give some credit to people who went, I don't know, that there was some good intent and maybe some good ideas. I don't know. A Night of Ideas. But from the little I read about this event, I didn't notice that there was any imposing Christian figures involved, no preachers at least not preachers that are of the biblical sort. And one man who is a state senator in California, and I must just register my opinion, when comparing New York State to California, I think we may still be ahead of the game because there's some really horrible things going on in California. And I'm not saying that New York is great, but for that matter, all the states are experiencing difficulties. But in this night of ideas, one of these state senators in California, his purview is part of it is the city of San Francisco. He is gay and part of the activist movement with the LGBTQ plus movement. He wrote this, what I want to read to you, on Twitter. So this has just happened, it's happening now in California. Scott Wiener, the state senator from California, he wrote these words, a DeSantis-style bill was just introduced in California to require, this is the introduction to this message, where we are. A DeSantis-style bill was just introduced in California to require teachers and counselors to inform parents if a kid IDs as a gender not on the birth certificate. Even if the kid isn't ready to come out to their parents, even if ratting the kid out, a teacher, a counselor, even if ratting the kid out risks violence at home, which one does not necessarily follow the other. And then he simply wrote, nope, not in California. In other words, he opposes it, and they're going to oppose it, and they're going to fight about it, and who knows who's going to win. But with this verse in mind, when a state, when a nation turns away from God as we certainly have as a nation, not as individuals, and that includes many, many churches, this is the result, and it's frightening. You have a state senator that is saying we're going to oppose a law that requires a teacher where you send your children to a public school, and similar things go on here in New York. You send your child to a public school, the teacher, what Wiener and the rest of them are arguing for is that they will not be required to tell you, the father or the mother, they will not be required to tell you that your child is going through a gender ID crisis, which may include actual hormone therapy. I mean, a child can get, a young person can get an abortion, as I remember reading correctly, in California, and you, the parent, do not have to be informed. Now, common sense, common decency would say, this is wrong. And yet we have a horde of people defending things just like this. Wiener, just to say one more thing from him, not about him, but from him, on this night of ideas, he said as more and more states ban books and drag queens, which you know what they're banning them from, coming in and reading to your children or to your grandchildren, And I say to you once again, the question is not why are they there is more like why do they want to be there? That's the question. And so Wiener stated this on his Twitter account. As more and more states ban books and drag queens, we're celebrating both at San Francisco Public Library's Night of Ideas. So not to go through the obvious and take up a lot of time sharing with you things you already know. You're intelligent, you're informed, you're watching the news, you read. If you have the spirit of Christ, then you are concerned. I use the word frightened. I'm not frightened for myself. I'm frightened for my children. I'm frightened for my grandchildren. In a country that officially, and I brought this to you a few weeks ago and you know it, officially and through our legislature, told God to get out of the courts, get out of the school. Take your 10 commandments and get them away from our eyes. Take your prayer out of our grade school. I was still in grade school when that law was passed, 1960, well two and three. We told God, get out. Let me say this to you if I may. Anyone who's not frightened evidently is not intelligent enough to be frightened. And anyone who's not being dominated by the spirit of fear would only be because they know the Bible. I'll say it one more time. Anyone who's not frightened by the developments that are going on in America, let alone across the world, must not be intelligent enough to understand the implications. You go to a doctor and he says the cancer has spread. Common sense and intelligence says that you should have some concern. That's just common sense. But I'll say it one last time. Anyone who's not moved by these things, evidently, doesn't have the intellect or perhaps just plain old-fashioned morality to be moved by these things to great concern. You see, it's not as though this could happen potentially. That was decades ago when we were warned that these things were developing. And at that point of time, it was just mere speculation to the minds of some people. But now we are here. We're here. I don't have the exact quote, and I tried to find it and I couldn't find it because I passed by it, of, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, by the picture I couldn't tell. But it was a person who is an active pedophile pushing for the protection of pedophiles and, you know, basically talking about sympathy and what have you. We've seen these things in history before. In Rome, for example, if a man could have a boy, that was a gift from the gods. And we know that Rome was basically destroyed from inside. It just decayed and decayed and decayed morally. So I say it again. Anyone who sees the world that we're living in here in America and is not either appalled or frightened or a bit of both or concerned, well, that's problematic. Where we are. And that you know, at least here, you know. Many that are watching also know, and many who are listening by way of the radio also know where we are. Some years ago, and it's been quite a few years ago now, and this is a book that I am saying to you, I am not recommending that you should read this book. I did, but I do it for different reasons. It wasn't for entertainment. But the book is titled 120 Days in Sodom. The author was the Marquis de Sade. Desad is where we get our English word for sadism. He lived in the 18th century, the 1700s, and he wrote this book, 120 Days of Sodom. And I'm sharing with you, I mean, what you do, you do, you're all adults, but I do not recommend that you read this book. And I'll tell you why. There's certain images painted in that book that all these years, I cannot get them out of my mind. And I wish that I could. So you'd be better off just listening to what it's about and skipping the book, don't read it. The story, it's fictional. The Marquis de Sade was a philosopher of sorts, a politician, nobleman. And it's a story of four wealthy men who capture and enslave 24 teenage girls. And for four months, just have all types of sexual perversion, their perversions fulfilled in these 24 women. That's the basis of the book. When asked the question, what did the Marquis de Sade write about? This is not from a Christian website. It's from an encyclopedia. I just didn't get the reference. His books were written to justify his monstrous behavior. All the sexual crimes he committed. While Sade was alive, censored shuddered. While he was alive, that's the 1700s in France. Censors shuddered at his accounts of rape, incest, and pedophilia. 1700s as well as his vitriolic atheism, and thousands of his books were destroyed. Now, the problem that we have is this. When we see something beginning, it is nascent, just starting, there are some who never entertain what is the logical outcome of this type of behavior. For example, if we were to take two rocket ships and sit them perfectly straight side by side, and this just angle them five degrees, even one degree, and fire them both off, they're going to follow a natural trajectory. What we don't seem to study or to entertain is that certain behaviors will have fairly predictive conclusions to them. When it comes to the flesh, as we read here, emptied, that's presuming that a person's been delivered by God, but not ever turned to Christ, not ever committed to Christ, not committed to the book, not committed to prayer, and so on not committed to holiness, then there's a certain well-cause and effect. You see, the flesh, which was created by God for good, as someone has said, makes a wonderful servant, but a very fearful master. So once we indulge the works of the flesh, it's never satisfied. You commit adultery with one woman, then that's not enough for two and three, and that's just adultery. The flesh will continue to seek out more and more things or ways of, in this case, sinning against God. And maybe we, we here in this room, maybe we had a very light conception of sin or a vague conception of sin. No more. Every day when you read your newspaper or you watch the news or however you get your news, you're getting a very clear picture of what the Bible calls sin. And that's what we're struggling against. So the Marquis de Sade stands as an example of where things will progress or can progress when they are not dealt with. For example, one of the characters in his book, this is a line from his book, 120 Days in Sodom. These are all fictional characters. Naturally, all of these men that he's talking about are reflecting his own views. But one man says this about the things they're involved in, and they're so vile, I couldn't even describe them publicly. I wouldn't. So this man, this character in the book, states this, he says, Firm in my principles, because those I formed are sound, that means reasonable, and were formed very early. I always act in accordance with them. Keeping in mind, this is talking about torturing teenage women in all types of ways that are primarily sexual. I always act in accordance with them. They have made me understand the emptiness and nullity of virtue. I hate virtue and never will I be seen resorting to it. They have persuaded me that through vice alone is man capable of experiencing this moral and physical vibration which is the source of the most delicious voluptuousness. So, I give myself over to vice. I was still very young when I learned to hold religions, and remember, this is France in the 1700s, so we're talking about Christianity. I was still very young when I learned to hold religions, fantasies, and contempt being perfectly convinced that the existence of a creator is a revolting absurdity in which not even children continue to believe, which is not true. I have no need to thwart my inclinations in order to flatter some god. And he's talking about this god. These instincts were given to me by nature, which in this is actually true, the sin nature. And it would be to irritate her were I to resist them. If she gave me bad ones, that is because they were necessary to her designs. So that just gives you a slight idea of the ideology behind some of the most hard things you could ever read that's in that book. And again, I say, don't read it. Do not read it. Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 17. Where are we? It's sort of like the question that God asked when Adam sinned: where are you? Luke chapter 17 as Jesus speaks of his return and keeping in mind that he returns for his own for those that believe on him the return of Jesus Christ will not be welcomed by everyone by those that believe on him yes by those that do not his return is summed up in the words let the rocks and the mountains fall on us and hide us in Luke chapter 17 I want you to look at this with me first what Jesus happened to say about the character we know as Lot and the situation where Lot was when judgment came. Verse 28, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. What I want to show you here, and we'll see it again in just a minute, is the fact that when Jesus returns, things will be, in one sense of the word only, business as usual. Eating, drinking, we'll read in just a minute, marrying, giving in marriage, making money. You see, when we watch these apocalyptic movies, they're often pictured as a scenario that is so horrible that anyone could recognize these are bad times. What we see here, and we'll see again in just a minute, people are carrying on their lives in the midst of incredible vice as though there is nothing going to happen, that there be no repercussions. At one point, people would say, among some of the Israelites, where's God? He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't see me. And, of course, that is a stultified intellect, what I referred to before, an intellect that can no longer properly process thoughts that this behavior going in this direction is going to land me right there. And this behavior going in that direction will land me right there. That's good thinking. I can go here by changing direction, and we'll get to that at the end of the message. It's called repentance, the change of the mind. But what I want to point out, before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and there were cities around them too, the people were going through business as usual. So what I want to say Jesus says here, let me read it again. They'll be eating, they'll be drinking, they'll be buying things, they'll be selling things. That's called economics. They'll be planting things, they'll be building things until the day the judgment happens. Remember the apostle Paul wrote the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. That means people are not expecting this to happen. For us here, I think one good example would be 9/11. We were all going about our business that day when all of a sudden we see on the news and hear from others who are watching the news, listening to it, that these towers have been um, attacked. We've been attacked. Our country has been attacked. Same with Pearl Harbor and so on. Nobody's thinking, especially Pearl Harbor, was right near Christmas. We don't expect that these things could happen, but I want to make this more personal and say to you that we don't think that these things could happen in America, but I'm saying to you, we're here. We're here right now. And I'm saying this to you so that we can rectify the situation by the end of this message, that you can't even protect your own child. Now, living in smaller areas like ours and throughout the country, we don't experience this type of blatant assault on morality, basic morality, as much as others do in the bigger cities, but we're all experiencing it. Right here, and it was some years back, When our church was up on the hill, we had a young, godly young kid, a teenager, going to school, sitting on the steps, reading her Bible, waiting for her ride. When the principal, the then-principal, came out of the school, or one of the leadership of the school, came out and told her, you can't read the Bible here. You're just sitting on the steps, minding her business, she wasn't preaching, she wasn't doing what I'm doing now. Kicked her off the steps. Things have changed a little bit back, they've kind of gone back a little bit, both here and across the United States. But that was, well, that was 30 years ago. And it was a harbinger of things to come. I haven't really checked out thoroughly some things that are going on in Canada that I hear, and I don't believe everything I hear from any source. I always check it out for myself. But we hear stories of preachers who are going to be sued if they make any mention of speaking against, for instance, homosexuality. I don't know that these things are true, but I can say they are within the realm of possibility. Someone wrote on the social media about churches here in the United States being sued If a pastor refused to do a wedding between two homosexuals, you know, two gay people. But I wrote and said that is not the case. That is not true. But you see more things closer to that happening, and you're all informed of it. You've read it, of the baker and so on. What we have to realize is that Satan is not passive. Now, forgive me, I don't mean to insult you. You may be passive about what's going on. But Satan is not. Now I grew up in some rough neighborhoods. And I want to tell you that bullies don't take it easy on people. Anybody that they can, whether take your lunch money or just try to make you do something, they will do it if you're passive. If you're not passive, well, then it's a different story. But if you're passive in spiritual matters, you can be sure that what we're reading about is going to get worse. Look at these verses with me in Luke chapter 17 as well. Verse 22. The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. As we get closer to the end. And they shall say to you, see here or see there. These are the false teachers. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. And then he talks about his suffering, which we know to be the crucifixion. And so, if you look down with me at verse 32. We are told to remember Lot's wife because she almost made it. The sons-in-law, they didn't make it at all. They never made it out of the city. Because when Lot told them what God was going to do, the Bible says they looked at him as one that's just joking, mocking. (laughs) He said, are you kidding me? This is Sodom. We're one of the wealthiest, most well-resourced areas in the world. (laughs) God's going to judge it. Well, go try to find it now. Archaeologists believe they have found it, but that's never a final proof. Go find it. It doesn't exist. For that matter, neither does Tyre. When God says, they'll be spreading out their nets after they fish on you, and that's exactly what they do to this day. Now go back with me again in verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, or Noe, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. So we're going to see history repeating itself. Notice this. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given a marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark, Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. This is what the Bible teaches. So that's why we come to this word so frequently, saved. This is what the word saved means. Saved here, now, saved for eternity. Saved. That's what it means, by the way, to be born again and so on. Saved from this. Friends, look at, you can just look at this world and figure out where it's going. Even if, maybe put it this way, even if the good guys stand up against the bad guys, which it could come down to that. And I'm just speaking about America, not the rest of the world. I've seen people for the last four, five, or six years, the quote good guys, how good they are, I wouldn't know, advocating for a civil war. I've studied the American civil war. It's not a good thing. More recent estimates of the amount of people that died, including civilians, is closer to a million. There's always been around a half a million, a little under. Now they're saying, no, it's actually closer to a million people. And the bloodshed. You had Irish fighting Irish and brothers fighting brothers. That's a good thing. And we have, quote, conservatives, patriots saying, yes, that's what we need. That's not what we need. We need Jesus. Amen. We need a third great awakening. We need God to come through. But we'll get to this in just a second. Because what I'm trying to point out to you is that when Christ arrives and when the day of judgment comes, it'll be as though it was an average day, although in the other sense, it's not average at all because of the incredible immorality, ungodliness, and I may say unintelligent behavior and thinking of men and women. And that's where we are, and you know that. Secondly, how did we get here? Just briefly. We have covered this extensively in Bible studies, but just briefly. That was a little bit from the 1700s with the Marquis de Sade. In the 1800s, the 19th century, we had a lot of things going on. Again, we've covered them before. But there's two primary movements, intellectual, I'll say scientific, that tremendously affected the church. One is Darwinism. Most everybody here knows about that. But the second, I would imagine the great majority probably don't know much about what's called higher criticism, but we've studied it here. So Darwin, we know about him, but let me just say something briefly about Charles Darwin's theory. Charles Darwin's theory of evolution is entirely compatible with Hinduism, reincarnation. Lower life forms go into higher life forms, which deals primarily with the realm of spirituality, whereas Darwin deals with material things. And so we see a confluence when you study it, you say these things are happening at the same time. Well, Hinduism has been around a long, long time. A confluence of ideology, one being religious and the other being more science. We can reject both, but I'm just saying it to give it a category. And it was a confluence of that. Higher criticism was something that came forth from, we'll call them scholars, who decided to look at the Bible. This is the 1800s. Decided to look at the Bible more critically, which is not a bad thing. Lower criticism, for example, looks at the texts themselves. Higher criticism looks at not just the text, but the background, what was going on, other things that are all around it. But what you need to know is the result of higher criticism from the 1800s. Primarily started in Germany. They came up with this. There was no virgin birth, that's a myth. There were no miracles at all. There are also likewise myths. And it also led to a certain amount of atheism, which this is truly fantastic. That you have preachers today in America in a pulpit similar to the one that I'm in, with a Bible open, similar to the one that I'm using, who behind the pulpit are secretly atheists. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. And I know it doesn't, except if you think about it this way. They can't afford to lose their job. So what does it become? 1 Timothy 5, the love of money. It's so convoluted, so chaotic, so insulting to the intelligence that you could have preachers preaching whatever they're preaching that are atheists. that don't even believe in the God that they're talking about. But they gotta please the crown because after all, you pay. Well, how did we get here? Higher criticism had a big part in it. And then preachers going to seminaries where these same people were teaching them of this, well, the virgin birth never happened. And it may surprise you to learn that the civil rights leader, Martin Luther King Jr., a Baptist minister, denied the deity of Christ. Or I've read in some of his papers. Denied the deity of Christ, the physical return of Christ, all the major doctrines of the Bible. Do I admire him as a civil rights leader? Absolutely. As a minister, not so, not at all. Not one bit, not at all, not as a minister. Civil rights, Yes, yeah, that's different. Because this is what happens. Higher criticism came in and caused such a stir because remember this was coming from a scholar And who are you and who am I to debate with a scholar? They speak a trade language. They have their own words that nobody understands but them. So when they're speaking and they are so smart, at least that's the appearance. I don't think they're that smart. But that's the appearance that they're so smart and who are we? It wasn't you that started the people in the seats. It was the people in the Bible colleges. They went in there to become men of God and came out scratching their heads saying, You can't really trust the texts; They're not reliable, and so on and so forth. And that began long before you were born, your father and mother, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and even your great-great-grandparents. That was happening. It's been going along this path. Now, we can talk about other things, too. The formation of occultic Christian branches. Mary Baker Eddy and Christian science. And how Joseph Smith received these extra-biblical and anti-biblical revelations. And then we can go into many, 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 many things. But the point is, we have arrived. We have arrived. And what I want you to do in your heart is to make a decision. Are you going to be passive and hope that it just simply goes away? If you can just close your eyes, it'll go away. Well, it's not going away. You bury your head in the sand. It's not going away, but worse, it's going to continue. If there's no retaining wall, if there's no obstruction, if there's nothing to stop it, if the average professing Christian doesn't get on the ball and start doing what they need to do, this is going to happen and it's going to get worse. If we don't return the churches to biblical teaching and preaching and the things I want to share with you right now, well, then we're lost. And I'll say this, as I said earlier, before I began the message, The parents don't see the need to bring their children to church. They're already blinded. They're blinded. You know, Horace Greeley, wasn't it Horace Greeley, who said that it's impossible to enslave, mentally or physically, a Bible reading people? What do you think Satan has been doing all along? In addition to perverting the texts that are coming into stadiums filled with 20, 30, 40,000 people, perverting the texts. Now, he did that in the very beginning. That was his first tactic. He's just removing the Bible altogether. And for me, I can see down the road and I say, dear God, what hope is there for my children, my grandchildren, your children, your grandchildren? I see these little kids, just kids I don't even know. I feel for them. I feel for the younger people. So my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? Complaining. What, what is all these rants on social media? How much has that accomplished? Now, I tried that earlier on when I thought social media was sort of like a pantheon where you can go and have intelligent discussions. Well, I found out not only are they not always intelligent, I can live with that, but they get rancorous, name-calling. What are you, stupid? No, I'm not stupid. I don't use social media to put my views out there other than what you read when you see the scriptures and the memes and the devotions and Bible studies and so on. In my mind, it's not useless because we have First Amendment rights that we have to protect them. So it's not useless, but let's just say it's not for me. So with now longer explanations, we got here through two primary channels. There were more. There was a confluence of these things all coming down into the 19th century when there was great doubt cast upon the integrity of this book. And now when you look out, you're seeing people, Americans, I'm talking about Americans, you're seeing them behave according to their beliefs that are not coming from this book. In the second chapter of Acts, as the Holy Spirit begins to fill the early church, The people that were listening to them and watching them and seeing this phenomenon said, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's when Peter said, repent. You crucified the Lord of glory. Now repent and so on. He gave him promises. Let me show you today what you can do. And it's not exhaustive. It's not the only things, but it's the most important. Number one, search the scriptures. Read the Bible every day. I don't know that I even want to hide my feelings about this. At times I'm quite irritated, I really am, of people who say a lot of things, but they don't do anything, and they don't do enough, and then all of a sudden the excuses start pouring in. Do I still love these people? Sure. Will I still keep a relationship with them? They're probably more at a distance, because if they're going down, and I'm not circling the drain with them, that much I've made up of my mind. I'm not going to be with a lukewarm Christian, if they're Christian at all. I don't know. I'm not the judge. But I am the judge of what I do with my time and my life. Search the scriptures. You know who said that? Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 39, he said to the Pharisees, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are which testify of me. That's the part I want you to hear. Search the scriptures because they testify of who Jesus is. He's not a philosopher, he's not just simply a teacher. He's not someone who came along and said, you know what? I've discovered some great principles. He says, I am from above. You are from below. And goes on, especially in the gospel according to John, to explain over and over again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. For there was not anything made that was made that was not made by this man that we call Jesus, whom we also call the Christ. Search the scriptures. It's not just for scholars. Maybe in the 19th century, if more people had Bibles, which they didn't, I mean they had some, but not as much as today. Maybe if certain people started raising their hands and say, excuse me, how did you come up with that? Maybe they would have rejected those scholars. You understand what we call progressives? Whether they be atheists or promoters of LGBTQ or whatever they are, they're in Harvard, they're in Yale, they're in Duke, they're in Princeton. They're in schools started by Puritans. Why? Because somewhere along the line, the church dropped the ball and became passive and stuck their head in the sand, hoping it would go away. And it didn't go away. It got worse. It got worse in my lifetime. I, for one... I am not going to sit back passively. I'm searching the scriptures. I'm making decisions on my own. I'm not consulting with anybody. That doesn't make me a rogue preacher. I just want to make sure, and this is advice I'm giving to you I want to make sure I make the kingdom. Yes. Maybe you assume I'm just getting in. After all, I put in almost 46 years of the pastorate, and I have credentials. So when I see the Lord, he may say to me, where is your wedding gown? I said, I don't need a wedding gown. I got credentials. I got them right here if I can get my wallet out. I got credentials. You see my service. They ain't going to cut it. No. So I've made a decision just for me. I made it by myself. That no matter what happens around me, I want to make sure I make the kingdom. And I would strongly suggest you make the same decision. Yes. Yes. Who don't like your commitment that's close to you? So what does that mean? Jesus already told you that he must be supreme in your life. That no one, no relationship should interfere with that. By the way, when you're a true Christian and you're in a marriage or whatever, you should not interfere with the relationship other people have with God. When is a true relationship. My advice to you is search the scriptures and make sure you're going in. Because I only have so much time during the week. I mean, I even invite you to say, come on online. I'm there for five hours of the week. Now I'm not putting you down. I'm not trying to provoke you. But that's about all I can do. You make sure you're getting in. Search the scriptures. Because they are the testify of Jesus the Christ. Secondly, a return to prayer. I, if I was writing this script, right now I would see before me millions and millions of people in churches all across this land. Down on their knees when prayer is called. They're there so quickly you can hardly stop them from speeding into the sanctuary. But that's not what's happening. And we are repeating history. In the book of Isaiah, paraphrasing what was said, he said, you know, I told them judgment was coming on the land. And he says, I marvel that no one stood in the gap. No one came to me and said, Lord, don't judge your people. And I mean, Moses did that. But at the time of Isaiah, people just said, we're Jews. We've got the temple. Let me say it to you so you understand. We're Americans. We've got the flag. These things don't happen here. My friends, they're already happening. You know the Air Force in particular, but the military is becoming woke, whatever woke means. I've studied it a couple of times and no one seems to know exactly what it means, but I know how it plays out. Couldn't happen here. It's already happening here. Why are we not praying? And further, why are we not praying together? It's too early? Okay. Well, we have one that's late on Friday. Well, it's too late. Well, we have one that's before the Bible study, study. we eh. Well, keep doing that. Now, I'm getting a bit forward with you. Keep doing it and keep reading the papers and keep seeing what's going on. And it's all because God's own people didn't have the sense to stand before God and say, God, have mercy on us. God, send us preachers that will preach the word. God, change my heart. How many Christians are concerned that God changes everybody's heart in the church? And God's saying, you're the man. You're the one I'm speaking to. We're taught in Ephesians six eighteen to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit watching thereunto unto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and if you know your bible that's at the end of the full armor of god and sometimes preachers forget that verse they talk about the helmet the shield they talk about the sword feet shot and they leave off prayer two things search the scriptures pray wherever you are start praying whenever you remember just start praying you're in the kitchen you're in the car you're driving you just start praying Praying for your family, praying for your friends, praying for this country, praying for our president. You say you don't like this president? Well, i tell you one thing. We may not like the one that's coming after that even less. Because whenever we trust flesh, and I don't care whose flesh it is, I don't care what's stamped on their little cards, we're going to lose. We need to trust in the Lord, and he's got to help us. Someone told me they didn't trust whatever. I said, I got an advantage on you. I don't trust anybody. I've learned not to trust flesh. We have to get to a place where we pray without ceasing. Search the scriptures, prayer, and corporate prayer. And when I was pulling into the sanctuary, I love this building behind me here. And I know the pastor's a good guy. I hear those bells ringing. I said to myself, we may still do it. Get us a bell for the top of this building. And every hour and every half hour, it's going to go off. Until they come around with torches and flames and pitchforks to try to tear the building down. Because I still love the sound of those chimes. I really do. And this church still plays it once in a while. I could hear it in my bedroom sometimes with the windows open. That won't bring revival, but it'll make me happy. (laughs) Repentance. It's time to stop the excuses and the nonsense. And the very thing that the character in the Marquis de Sade's Book Nature made me this way. So we have a fallen nature. So in that sense, it was a bit correct too. God didn't make them that way. But we have this nature that repentance is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. Constantly. Constantly. Now this verse I know that many of you are familiar with. But just listen to it. If my people, which are called Christians. Kind of makes it different, huh? Called by my name. They're called Christians. Roman Catholic Christians, Eastern Orthodox Christians, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, Pentecostal, on and on, over 42,000 denominations worldwide. It's a lot of names. I'll reduce it to one that's only used three times in the Bible Christian. If my people, which are called Christians, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, so far so good, and turn from their wicked ways. You're heading here. It's just a matter of turning to arrive there. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Repentance is number three on the list. Before we go anyplace else, as Americans who have the privilege of electing those who, look, they rule over us. And I'm going to offer you an opinion. It's just an opinion you can disagree and you can prove me wrong, which is fine. You think we have two parties in this country? We have one. We have a uniparty. Yeah, I know there's exceptions. Of course, there's always exceptions. We have a uniparty. It almost doesn't matter who we elect because the results always seem to be the same. But then again, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. So that's just an opinion. But this is not. If my people, which are called Christians, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And will heal their land. We need repentance ongoing. And watch for the small little foxes as I always tell you this. Watch for the skipping of the prayer life. Watch for the fact that if you think back. When was the last time I read my Bible? That oh, was just a couple of days ago. No it wasn't. It was a couple of months ago. How many hours do you spend in front of a television set? You say I don't watch television. I so what do you do? You're doing something. And how many hours do you spend doing what you do? Now, I'm in the gym for two full hours. About an hour and a half of that is actually exercise. I don't apologize for that. However, if it got down to I had to make a choice between one or the other, then the Word of God is going to win out. So I want you to examine yourself and find out how many hours are you spending, whatever you do. And I want you to think when's the last time you read the Bible? It could have been this morning. But more than likely, if your Bible habit has fallen by the wayside, so is your relationship with Jesus. If your attendance, which would be the last thing I talk about today, at church meetings is falling to the wayside, more than likely, it's not exclusive, but more than likely, so is your relationship with Jesus. Hey, you know what? What if I said to you today, and I was serious, which I'm not, but what if I said to you this way, I don't need you people. In fact, I really don't even like you. <laughs> well, you'd come back at me with so many Bible verses, I'd look like Clyde Bauer after he got shut up by Frank Hammer. All right, so I do like you. But how many people let Sunday services go? Because they don't need them. You see, they got God. They got God. What about me? If you're not here to sing, I don't hear it. If you're not here to pray, I don't hear it. So I pray at home. That's good. Are you Are going to record it for me and send it to me? But when we're together, I hear you pray. I hear you sing. And if you come, and you know, most all of you here are very, very regular, you hear me preach. But during the pandemic when we were shut out, I was preaching here all by myself. Try that. See how much fun it is when there's nothing but seats in front of you and one elder and a TV man and just preaching. What saved me is I knew that some people were watching through the camera. It wasn't much fun preaching by myself. It's a whole lot better. And by the way, and this is the truth, I tell you the truth on Saturday nights I keep getting excited about I'm going to be here in the morning. Not because I can preach, because I can do that online. It's not as much fun, but I can do it. Because we're going to be together. And we have something in common. Jesus. Amen. And then we go out, even this afternoon, but certainly Monday morning, back into that place. And there's the vulgarity. And who's bragging about who they were with over the weekend. How drunk they were and all these things. Or somebody just, you know, talking about the political situation. And all the filth just comes back on you. It's much better when we're together. So let me get to it. Amen. Look with me. Hebrews 10, 24 through 29. And I finish, And let us consider one another. When you come here, are you thinking about the people around you? How can I be a blessing? How can I be a help? Let us consider one another. Now, I'm telling you the truth. This is 100% the truth. Not only do I enjoy being here, but I need you. I know when you're praying for me, or someone's praying for me from the church, or even, even someplace else. My spirit is lifted up. You can sense it. Consider one another. To provoke, to love and good works... Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And that's the first century. It is, it was, and God help us, it always will be, but it's not for you. These are the decisions that we must make for them. Search the scriptures, prayer, true repentance, real repentance, and fellowship. Exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's what this message is about. The day is approaching, we see it. So what does it say as an instruction? Come together, come together and consider each other. How many people, now don't raise your hand, but I mean, I know more than any of you know what's going on in the lives of the people here. And I don't know everything, but I know more than anybody else knows. And I can tell you we need each other because you're sitting next to someone and you have no idea what they're going through. Now some of you already know what my family's going through. What am I supposed to do, stand all by myself? What are you supposed to do? Stand all by yourself? No. It's the body of Christ that comes together. And if you would be honest, and you could say to me on the way out, if you want to really be honest, Pastor, I don't agree with that text, and I don't need to be here. Now I know that it's, again, looking around, you guys are all regulars. Where's the rest? I got to say this. This is only for me. I've learned to be carefree, not care less. If someone will not do what God has said to do, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Because I don't want to miss it myself. I think you understand my spirit. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. I'm going to let it go with that. Would you notice the context is coming together? Has a direct bearing on not sinning willfully? Why? Because we encourage one another and love one another. It may seem... Maybe in your mind, this is too little and maybe even too late with the big problems that we have. But I would submit to you it was because we neglected these things for a long time that we're in the mess we're in right now. Not respecting the fact that God has a plan, but at least this can be an oasis. At least we can have respite as we speak to each other. Those that feared the Lord spoke often one to another. And we sing and pray and all of these things. And God be merciful to us. And I'll say this to you and pray. What I'm seeing is a bit encouraging because it's mainly younger people, like the 30ish group, that don't want all the fun and games that some churches are employing to bring people in. I could pack this sanctuary out three, four times over. I won't tell you how, but I could do it. I'm not interested in bringing in people who I got to drag along. I'm not interested. I'm not wasting my time. I don't have much time left. It's time to rise up and do these things. What decision would you make today? Will you be the one that God says, who shall go before us and whom shall we send? And you'll stand up and say, hear my Lord, send me. Your Lord, help us to return to our senses that we can see that in part, we are responsible for these things because we did not follow your instructions. Help us, God, at least if nothing happens, that we stood in the gap. We cried out to you for mercy and grace for our country, for our families, for our friends. And cause us, God, to be in these things and to withstand the remarks we get from people and the things they say behind our backs. Who cares? Who cares? But help us, God, to have our eyes opened to see the times we live in and be able to say in sincerity, based on how we live, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Help us, God, to be looking forward to and welcoming your return but not everybody will not everybody will because there's always somebody trying to tug at your elbow to get you off track don't let it happen stay faithful and father we bless you today for all these things give grace to this preacher and to this little fellowship here in the woods that we can preach the gospel and be a light help us god to make a difference and not be part of the problem rather let us be part of the solution this week, remind us again and again to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength. Then remind us to love one another. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor today in Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me today? Amen.